you open in your Bibles to Exodus uh, chapter 5? Exodus chapter 5. Um, last week, we worked through the first 21 verses of Exodus 5, and now we're going to pick up at verse 22. You'll remember that in uh, chapter 5 last week, Pharaoh was laying these heavy burdens on the people. And now the people have come to Moses, they've come to Aaron, and they're angry. So today we're going to look at Moses' response. In, in particular, Moses, upon hearing the anger of the people, upon receiving the anger of the people, he brings his uh, questions to God, his, his concerns to God in the form of questions. So let's pray, and we'll turn to the text. Father, your word is truth. We ask that you would sanctify us by it. Father, as we seek to know your will, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you reveal it to us? We know that you will do this because you've promised to meet us here in your word. And so, Father, don't neglect your promise today. We place our faith in you and we ask that you would show us your will and your way. Conform us to your image. Let us call this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hear God's word, starting in Exodus chapter 5, starting in verse 22. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done this evil to this people? And why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people. And you have not delivered your people at all. The Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand, he will send them out. And with a strong hand, he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. As God Almighty. But my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them. To give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say, therefore, to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. And with great acts of judgment, I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord, your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel. but They did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. So the Lord said to Moses, go in and tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But Moses said to the Lord, behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, 
to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. These are the heads of their father's houses, the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, Hanak, Palu, Hezron, and Carmi. These are the clans of Reuben. The sons of Simeon, Jamuel, Jamin, Ohad, Jachin, Zohar, and Shaul, the sons of a Canaanite woman. These are the clans of Simeon. These are the names of the sons of Levi, according to their generations, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. The years of the life of Levi being 137 years. The sons of Gershon, Libni, and Shimei by their clans. The sons of Kohath, Amram, Izhar, Hebron, and Uziel. And the years of the life of Kohath being 133 years. The sons of Merari, Malai, and Mushai. These are the, the clans of the Levites according to their generations. Amram took as his wife Jochebed, his father's sister. She bore him Aaron and Moses. The years of the life of Amram being 137 years. The sons of Izar, Korah, Nepheg, and Zikri. The sons of Uziel, Mishael, Elzaphan, and Zithri. Aaron took his, his wife, Elisheba, or Elizabeth, the daughter of Amenadab, and the sister of Nashon. And she bore him Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. The sons of Korah, Aser, Elkanah, Abiasaph, these are the clans of the Korites. Eleazar, Aaron's son, took his wife, one of the daughters of Putiel. She bore him Phinehas. These are the heads of the fathers' houses of the Levites by their clans. These are the Aaron and Moses, to whom the Lord said, Bring out the people of Israel from the land of Egypt by their hosts. It was they who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, about bringing out the people of Israel from Egypt. This Moses and this Aaron. On the day when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, the Lord said to Moses, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips. How will Pharaoh listen to me? The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Amen. Have you ever had to do something that you couldn't explain? In the, in the house that I grew up in, we had an attic that for a good chunk of my life was partially finished. So it, half of it was, was kind of finished out. The other half was not finished. But when I was maybe 10 or 11 years old, my parents decided they were going to go ahead and finish the rest out and turn it into some bedrooms. Well, one day during the summer, I was 10 or 11 years old. Uh, my dad came into our room. Mine and my brother, we shared a room. He came into our room, and he told us he had, a, he had a project for us to do. Now, at that point in my life, my summer consisted mostly of, you know, I go swimming, I play video games. And so I had plans for the day. And so he comes in, and he says, I have this project. You're going to come upstairs and look at it with me. And so we go up into this uh, partially finished attic, and he showed us a pile of bricks from an old chimney that we'd taken down. And he said, I want you to take this pile of bricks, one by one, and take them and put them in a pile in the backyard. My memory is probably not trustworthy on this, but the way I remember it, that was the hottest day of the summer, and those were the heaviest bricks that have ever been made. And I'm pretty sure that it took the whole day, too. I don't think I got to go swimming or play video games that day. I hated doing it, and at the time, I had no idea why that was my job. 
So what's, what's the point of doing this? Why am I the one doing this? In the grand scheme of things, that was a very minor inconvenience. And there were very good reasons why I was supposed to be doing that. Because those bricks were sitting in what, within a few months, would be my bedroom. But have you ever had this, this feeling of not knowing why or how you had to do something? I know some of you have been public school teachers. And I know that part of that process is doing, filling out forms and doing things that doesn't really seem to add up to whole, a whole lot. For some of you, maybe you've had a financial struggle. Maybe there's a family conflict that you were put in charge of and you don't know why it was you. Maybe you've wondered why or even how God saved you. Well, in today's passage, those are the kinds of questions that Moses is asking. Why me? What's the point of all this? How is this going to come together? He's looking at the situation and he's going, this, this isn't going to work out. The Israelites are under this heavy oppression from the Egyptians. And Moses is looking around going, what's the point in all this? So that's the concern that he brings to God. And God answers in this way. He says, the purpose and the plan of redemption is covenant faithfulness. The purpose and the plan of redemption is covenant faithfulness. Now, I hope you'll, you'll hang on and bear with me here. We're going to dig into some deep and dense theology a little bit today. But if, if you miss everything else, here's, here's the thing that I want you to take away. Everything that God does, from the smallest to the biggest thing, everything that God does flows from his perfect and unchanging character. It comes out of who he is. And so when God makes promises, he always fulfills those promises. Because he is faithful to the covenant, he's faithful to his people, and he is unchanging. So the purpose and the plan of redemption is covenant faithfulness. So we're going to look at this in two stages, because Moses questions God twice. First, we're going to look at the purpose of redemption, and second, we'll look at the plan of redemption. So first, the purpose of redemption is covenant faithfulness. The purpose of redemption is covenant faithfulness. Starting in verse 22, Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done this evil to this people? And why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people. And you have not delivered your people at all. Now, we've already learned in Exodus that Moses loves to ask God questions. And this situation is no exception. And he's going to continue to ask questions throughout the book. So here he asks two why questions. And if you pay attention, you'll actually see that God gives two answers. God speaks in verse 1 of chapter 6 and then in verse 2. So first, Moses asks, why have you done evil to this people? Now, Moses is asking this question because he's a good theologian. You'll notice that he uses the same phrase in verse 23. That Pharaoh does evil to this people. And so Moses is acknowledging a fact that many of us struggle with. If you were with us in Sunday school, we talked about this at length. He's acknowledging the absolute sovereignty of God. If Pharaoh has done evil, it is only because God has allowed that evil to happen. If Pharaoh has done evil, it's because at some level God willed for that evil to happen. 
This is what our church's confession says. It says, The almighty power, unsearchable wisdom, and infinite goodness of God so far manifest themselves in his providence, his sovereignty, his control over things, that it extends itself even to the first fall and all other sins of angels and men, and that not by bare permission, but such as has joined with it a most wise and powerful bounding and ordering and governing of them in a manifold dispensation to his holy ends. Yet so as the sinfulness proceeds only from a creature and not from God, who being most holy and righteous, neither is nor can be the author or approver of sin. And so our confession is summarizing a point made clear in Scripture over and over again. God is totally in control. Nothing happens, nothing at all happens, that God is not ordained. And that includes evil and sin. That's a difficult truth. That's what the Bible teaches. But we do have this comfort that all evil and all sin are ultimately ordered to God's glory and to our joy. Look at his answer to Moses in verse 1. He says, The Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. So in other words, the evil that God allows Pharaoh to commit is not in vain. His aim is twofold. First, he's delayed this redemption of the Israelites so that justice will be complete and justice will be clear in Pharaoh's plight. And second, so that Israel will know the power and the might of God. But there's still another question. It's kind of broad, a broader question. And Moses asked this second question. He says, why did you send me? What am I here for? You're all powerful. You're almighty. You don't need me. So why have you put me in this situation in the first place? Well, let's look at God's answer starting in verse 2. God said to Moses and said, spoke to Moses and said, I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But my name, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves. And I have remembered my covenant. Say, therefore, to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord, your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for possession. I am the Lord. Notice what frames that whole speech. God's words begin begin and end with, I am the Lord. And we find it again in the middle. I am the Lord. That's the covenant name of God. It's his personal name. And furthermore, he goes on to invoke his covenant with Abraham. When God hears the cries of the Israelites, he's hearing it as a covenant plea. When he heard their groaning, he heard the groaning of a people who were not distanced from himself, who were not like the other people, 
They hear the groaning of his own children. And as a covenant-keeping, steadfast God, he's bound to keep his promises. By the way, that's what happens when we confess our sins and worship or anywhere else. We're, we're staking a claim to the covenant promises of God that he will forgive our sins because he is faithful and just in his promises. But again, why Moses? And the answer is because Moses is God's chosen covenant mediator. Notice in verse 3 that God mentions previous covenant mediators, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But then he turns. He moves from past tense, I established or I have established my covenant, to future tense. Future tense. I will be your God and you will be my people. God had established covenant with Abraham and his sons, but we're moving into a new era. We're moving into a new covenant administration. We're no longer dealing with a small family in the desert. We're dealing with a complete nation full of 12 tribes. And so there's an expansion in the administration of the covenant. With a new administration of the covenant, there needs to be a new mediator, a new covenant head, and that is Moses. Now, again, bear with me. We're going we're gonna to talk a little bit of theology here. But in Scripture, there are fundamentally two covenants. First, we have the covenant of works with Adam in the garden. Then we have the covenant of grace. Because Adam transgressed the covenant of works by eating the forbidden fruit, God promised a new covenant in Genesis 3.15. That covenant is ratified again with Abraham and his sons. Then they received a promise of land at that point. And under Moses, God actually fulfilled that promise. He brought them into the land under Moses and then later under Joshua. And then finally, ultimately, we receive the promises of the new covenant in Christ. So when God makes a covenant with his people under Moses, he doesn't do away with the covenant with Abraham. And we make, when he makes a covenant with his church under Christ, he doesn't do away with the covenant with Moses. The previous covenants aren't abolished, they're fulfilled, they're established. So it's not as if God is ripping up a contract and starting new, he's adding to it. To compare it, you can think of it in, in the way we think of our American Constitution. He's not writing a new Constitution for Abraham and then for Moses and then so on. He's amending it. He's changing it. He's adding to it. And so when we look at these various biblical covenants, Abraham, Moses, Christ, and all the others in Scripture... We see that it, it's not God making mistakes. He's building and he's growing. What we're actually looking at is a single unified covenant under various administrations. That's what he's doing in this passage. He's saying, I've got the Abrahamic covenant. I'm building off of it with the Mosaic covenant. He's promising to fulfill Abraham with a more expansive covenant. So when God ratifies these new covenants, it's not because of something faulty or defective. It's not because he's made a mistake. These aren't his plan B, C, or D. It's all plan A. Once again, we believe that God is completely sovereign and he cannot fail. When he sets, when he sets out to do something, he will accomplish it. But here's, here's the key thing that you need to, to draw from this passage. You are not the cause of your salvation any more than Israel was the cause of their salvation. They didn't wake up one day and decide, you know what, today's a good day to leave Egypt. In fact, they were actively rejecting Moses and Aaron. They were obstinate. They were sinful. 
But God made a promise to their father Abraham. God also made a promise to his son. Jesus, in the Gospel of John, he says over and over again, he refers to all those whom the father has given me. In other words, what Jesus is saying is that he's holding up his end of a promise. The father promised Christ this people. And Jesus came and died to redeem that people who were promised to him. So just as God redeemed Israel in faithfulness to the covenant with Abraham, we are redeemed by Christ's faithfulness to that same covenant of grace. It's not because we were supremely moral, and it's not even because we were particularly pitiful or sinful. No, it's because there's a promise made through Christ to us. That's why we're saved. That's why Israel was saved, because of the promise. But this leads to the second question, how? How does this work out? Answer, the plan of redemption is covenant faithfulness. The plan of redemption is covenant faithfulness. Look at verse 9. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. So the Lord said to Moses, go in and tell Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But Moses said to the Lord, behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me, for I am of uncircumcised lips? You'll notice you get almost identical verses at the end of the chapter, at the end of chapter 6. The question is repeated in in verse 30, and like the phrase, I am the Lord, framed God's answer. This question frames the answer in chapter 6. And you'll notice that it's basically the same question that Moses asked in chapter 4. He's appealing to his, his poor speaking ability. But what is the answer to the question? How? The answer is genealogy. Now, that probably strikes you as odd. Uh, culturally, we've, we've really lost touch with history. We can't speak intelligently about it like we used to. For most people today, it's, it's, history is maybe a tool for political gain. But before about 15 minutes ago, people understood history as a way to understand ourselves. It's a way to understand where we come from and where we're going. And so biblical history, these genealogies are no exception. So when Moses asked God how he's going to redeem Israel, a history lesson makes a lot of sense. Just a few things to notice from this genealogy. First, you'll notice that only three of of Jacob's sons are mentioned. Reuben, Simeon, and Levi. Of course, part of that is Moses is trying to highlight his pedigree as a Levite. He's letting us know that he's part of the tribe of Levi. But these three sons also share something in common. These three sons were cut out. They lost their inheritance. And that inheritance passed on to the fourth son, Judah. And so Moses and Aaron don't come from that line. They're not coming from the line of Judah. They come from the tribe of Levi. And so despite the sin of Levi, which you can read about in Genesis, the covenant is still in effect for his descendants. Now that's a crucial point. Remember, the reason God redeems his people is for the sake of the covenant. But the the how question is answered in the same way. God redeems his people through the covenant itself. So in other words, God uses his own promises to fulfill his promises. This is the human element of salvation. God doesn't save us because of us, but he does save through us. His covenant is the reason why he saves, but then he uses that same covenant and the people in it to carry out his will. And so that means that you have a job. 
You have a job to do in bringing covenant blessings to God's people. Now, we're all called, like Moses, to particular vocations. Parents, grandparents, you're called to bring covenant blessings to your children. A good start is baptizing them and bringing them to church. But it doesn't stop there. Deuteronomy tells us that we're to, to teach the word diligently. When we rise and we go to sleep, when we walk by the way, when we sit in our houses, which covers pretty much everything. And what that means is that we ought to make our homes a place that is centered on the word and on word-filled prayer. Make those things the focal point of our life together. For those of you that don't have children, you took vows at the baptism of the children in this church. You vowed to support our parents in this work, to pray for them, to help teach our children. Children, you're called to the task of preparation. You don't realize this now, but you will never have more abundant opportunities for spiritual growth than you do right now. You have abundant time and energy to seek God in his word, to seek God in prayer. And so don't be afraid to take advantage of that. Ask your parents hard questions. Ask your teachers hard questions about faith. And let them guide you. Don't waste the opportunities you have now because they will pay huge dividends in the future. I can go on. Older men and older women are called to disciple younger men and younger women. Elders are called to shepherd the flock of God. But at the end of the day, all of us are called to be salt and light in the world. All of us are called to proclaim the name of Jesus to the world. And so if you're a part of the covenant community of believers, you are also part of God's plan for redeeming the world. That's a monumental task. And if you have questions about what that means for you, feel free to talk to me. But know this. Even when, when we, who are his flawed servants, even when we mess up, there's nothing that can stop his mercy. And so it's actually his mercy extended to us that he allows us participate in this so why are we saved it's because of the covenant faithfulness of god and how are we saved it's through the covenant faithfulness of god so when i read this story of moses prayers to god i can't help but think of jesus in gethsemane on the night that jesus jesus was betrayed he comes before his father and he asks the same questions why how the difference, of course, is that Moses didn't know the answers, but Jesus did. He knew that the promise of God was irrevocable. He was there when Abram was promised descendants from many nations. He was there when Isaiah wrote of the suffering servant who would die for the sins of the people. He was there through it all, and so he knew this whole story, and he knew how it was going to end. He knew the answer, and even though he asked these questions, why and how, he still received it faithfully. He drank the cup of wrath for the sake of his people, for the sake of his covenant. And he calls us to follow him in that task. He calls us to trust his promises, but also he calls us to steward those promises well. So that all whom the Father has given him will hear the voice of their shepherd. Now to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, Father, Son, and Spirit, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen.